your attention to Matthew chapter 9, and I want to ask you, as you look there, uh, does it seem to you that the words that Jesus Christ spoke, if in someone else's mouth, might sound rather odd? He said things like, I, I and the Father are one. He said uh, that he was the true bread come down from heaven. He indeed is the greatest of all. Of course, back in the 60s, there was a young boxer from Louisville, Kentucky, who tried to claim the same thing. And I'm not much in a mood to, today to break out into an impersonation of him, but uh, Muhammad Ali one day was uh, on a flight. And of course, he always claimed to be the greatest of all. He was on a flight, and the flight attendant came by and asked him to buckle his seatbelt, and he said, Superman needs no seatbelt. And she replied, Superman doesn't need an airplane either. Buckle your seatbelt. <laughs> the kinds of things that Jesus claimed for himself and that others have claimed for him make sense only when ascribed to him. There are things about Jesus that we can say and that he said of himself that can only be applied to him. And today, I want to exalt him as the example of examples. A.T. Robertson, a great Greek scholar, many years ago, wrote 41 books, and nine of them were on Jesus. And he, in his third book on Jesus, said, I make no apology for writing another one on him. The theme is exhaustless. Henry Bosch said about Jesus, and observed, in comparison to other teachers, Socrates taught for 40 years, Plato for 50, Aristotle for about 40, Jesus taught for three. And yet he has had a greater impact upon the world in three than the 130 of these combined. Indeed he has. Uh, Jesus painted no pictures, but Michelangelo and Raphael and others received their inspiration from him. He wrote no poetry, but Milton and Dante received their inspiration from him. Every great endeavor of human living has found its inspiration in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was the greatest human to ever live. And Matthew 9 is going to help us to understand why. Of course, George Truitt said that the humanity of Christ can only be explained by the deity of Christ. Only God could live like a human like that. Only God could ever pull that off, and he did in human flesh in Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ was God and man. And so it comes as no surprise that these words are spoken of him, beginning in Matthew chapter 9 and verse number 35. Here, Matthew exalts Jesus as the greatest of all examples. Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them, because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. And when he had called his twelve disciples to him, he gave them power. The rest of that text we will look at at a later date. You can be like Jesus when you know his example. 
And that's my subject today, to be like Jesus. One hymn writer wrote, to be like Jesus, all I ask to be like Him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask to be like Him. Well, what would it mean to be like Jesus? Well, there are a number of things that surface from the text, and the first is this. It first of all means, go as Jesus went. Over the last 40 years or so, there are some phrases that have become popular among Christians, and they're just as strong and popular today as they were first coined. One happens to be, let go and let God. Another happens to be, it doesn't matter what we do for Christ, but what He does through us. And another about evangelism happens to be, we don't win people, the Holy Spirit wins people. Well, there might be some truth to these, but beloved, I've got to say to you, you've got to guard yourself against human statements. Because human statements in the human heart and in the human mind have a way over time of becoming distorted. Especially when it comes to reaching a lost and dying world, what we will do is that we will distort and modify cute statements like that to the point where we talk ourselves out of obedience. And so today, I think as a result of distortion of what otherwise could be some good statements, churches today have become apathetic, lifeless, listless, and indifferent to a lost and dying world. In fact, they are oftentimes content, surrounded by a world that is perishing in its sins. And almost no one in our churches today has any experience of leading anyone to Jesus Christ, and most seem to be rather content with that. They'll complain about the world and criticize and condemn the world, and frankly, that's pretty easy to do, is it not? But they will not wet an altar with tears or a prayer list with tears. In fact, you can go through a whole prayer emphasis and urge people to make a list of 15 lost people, and some of them won't do it. That had no place in the life and ministry of Jesus. Verse number 35 says, Then Jesus went about all the cities and villages. The cities surrounded by a wall because they were large enough and worthy enough to be protected in villages that were not. He went about. Hey, in chapter 9, that's the kind of ministry that you've got with Jesus. Back in verse number 1, it says, He also got into the boat and crossed over. In verse number 9, He passed on from there. Verse number 10 of chapter 9, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house. Then verse number 19, so Jesus arose and followed him. Verse 23, when Jesus came into the ruler's house, he did a ministry there. Verse 27, Jesus departed from there. Verse 28, he came into the house. Jesus was active and going after lost people. And to be like Jesus means we go after a lost and dying world. We don't wait for invitations. We show up uninvited. Why? Because that's what it means to be like Jesus. And I've got to say to you, some of you are nervous would talk like this. You're afraid of offending a, uh, non-believers with the gospel of Christ. I want to say to you, if you're nervous about that, you probably won't do it. You probably won't offend anyone. In fact, I've got to say to you, I've tried to witness my entire Christian life, tried to be faithful in that area. Some thought that I could teach it on the seminary level and did for a while. And I've got to say to you, I can count the number of negative experiences I've had on one hand. If you wait for people to approach you, you will wait for the rest of your life for anyone to ask you about salvation. It isn't going to happen. It just isn't going to happen. It has hardly happened in my ministry. 
And I'm immersed in this. So to be like Jesus means we go after folks. I like L.R. Scarborough who said, I have won someone to Jesus every way that Jesus did, but up a tree or on a cross, and the first chance I get, I'm going after them. So I tried to do that Thursday. Shared the gospel with Jessica. Gave her a track and asked her. I said, Jessica, I want to ask you a real challenging question. For some, it's comforting. For others, it's devastating. Let's imagine that the worst thing in the world were to happen today and your heart was to stop beating. And you were to stand before God and He was to ask you, Jessica, why should I let you into heaven? What would you tell Him? She said, that's a tough question. I said, well, it might be now, but it doesn't have to be. I shared the gospel with her. Well, she was selling some items and folks came up behind her, so I didn't have the opportunity to go all the way with the gospel presentation with her, but I'm going back on Thursday, if not sooner. A few minutes later, I met Kelsey in front of our church. I was walking from the church building to the shopping center to our west to go to each of the businesses to give them my card and offer my prayers and friendship and the services of our church. And I talked to Kelsey and got the gospel out, asked him the same question, gave him a track. Kelsey was as friendly as he could be. The wind is whipping around. It is as cold as it can be. Icicles started hanging off that poor man's nose. Not quite, but it was dry, but... um, And he confessed to me, I'm just not ready. And I said, Kelsey, you were supposed to be ready. I appreciate your sincerity, but you were supposed to be ready when I showed up. And then, yesterday, got the opportunity to speak to someone just got out of the military, Tron. He was uh, at the bus station at the Texaco down the road on the Atlanta Highway, headed to Gainesville. Got to share the gospel with him as well. Not one of those persons came to me asking me how to be saved. I had to go to them. And I will tell you, most in the world will not hear the gospel unless we go. To be like Jesus then means we go as He went, and we do it in the power of the Holy Spirit, and He can do it through you. But there's a second thing. Not only go as Jesus went, but speak as Jesus spoke. Speak as Jesus spoke. Now, there are some who say, Well, I don't need to say anything about Christ. I will just show by my life what it means to be a Christian. Have you ever heard of such arrogance in all your life? Do you know just how arrogant and naive that statement is? Beloved, number one, we aren't that spiritual. Number two... Even Jesus did not rely upon the quality of his life to lead them to salvation. He found it necessary to find something. And unless you're better than Jesus, I suggest open your mouth. Oh, a lot of strategies today that people talk about. Will Graham in chapel many years ago said, I've got a strategy for you. Open your mouth. There's a strategy. Well, that's what Jesus did. Chapter 9, verse 35 says, Here, he went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues. Now, some are content just to teach the Bible in the church. But that did not satisfy Jesus. He did teach in the synagogue, but he preached the gospel of the kingdom outside the religious setting as well. That reminds me of the uh, fellow who said, well, I'm, I'm not going to say anything. I'm just going to improve the quality of my life and show what it means to be a Christian to co-workers. And one day somebody came up to him and said, hey, you look different today. And he thought, he's going to ask me how to become a Christian. 
And the man said, you seem to be happier. And the fellow thought, he's about to ask me how to become a Christian. He said uh, to him as well, he said, there's just something different about you. And the man said, surely he's going to ask me to be a Christian. And the fellow asked him, are you losing weight? (laughs) Beloved, you have to understand about the lost and dying world. They don't know enough to ask you. You've got to surface the issue and share the gospel with them. Speak as Jesus spoke. In verse 35 it says he preached the gospel of the kingdom. Now we've got to be careful about defining the gospel. It's used as a marketing term among evangelicals today and it'll sell everything in these days. The gospel is defined in 1 Corinthians 15, 1-3, how Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried and raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that He appeared to many and He was seen. That is the gospel of Christ. And it is the message where God has deposited His converting and saving power. Romans 1.16 says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now there are some in our churches that are ashamed of the gospel and they don't know it. It's oftentimes reflected, can't we get past this salvation thing into some deep truth? I'm tired of that salvation thing. They've grown impatient with it. Or can't we do something other than keep telling people how to be saved? That might be another hint as well. But Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation. To the Jew first, also to the Greek, to him who believes. Romans 10, 17 says, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. God does something in the heart that is necessary in the heart of the lost person when we open our mouths and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with lost people. And that's a part of what it means to be like Jesus. If we care about people, we'll share with people the good news of Jesus Christ. And so you have to understand, we, we go as Jesus went to you and we speak as Jesus spoke to you because Jesus did. It's important to God that you're saved. And that's why friends have invited you to come to Christ. That's why they've invited you to be chavin. Don't get annoyed with them. No one else is doing this. And you're going to be dead a lot longer than you're going to be alive. That may come as a shock to you, but you're going to be on the other side of the grave much longer than this side of the grave. And it's necessary to make preparation. And the Lord of life and death has offered preparation in the saving gospel of Christ. And so someone that has invited you to the Lord, invited you to hear the gospel message, loves you and cares for you and is willing to be misunderstood by you and is willing to stretch and extend to you and risk losing your friendship if necessary. That person cares more about you and your eternity than his or her own feelings. And so at the end of the service today or at the end of my message, I'm going to ask you to step out from where you are and walk down this aisle and meet one of our staff here and say, I want to know Jesus. Today you can speak as Jesus spoke. But there's a third thing. Not only go as Jesus went and speak as Jesus spoke, but to be like Jesus means to do as Jesus did. Now, I've explained to you in the past that the ministry of Christ and the miracles in the Bible are something of a preview of the full kingdom that comes in the book of Revelation that we're waiting for one day. Everything God will do in the future, He has done in miniature 
in the ministry of Christ and the apostles. And we pray He's doing that amongst us today. That great future kingdom that is pure and where all evil and misery is eliminated is something that appears in the ministry of Christ and the apostles and is something that really should appear in our church life and family. We're to be a miniature and a preview. It's much like what you have with movies that are coming out. I'm paying careful attention to Captain America Winter Soldier previews and trailers coming out these days. You don't have to like Captain America to be like Jesus, but you need to get close. I'm just kidding. But Jesus was not the full manifestation of the future kingdom that we find in Revelation. Jesus instead is a preview. Or it's like when you go to a restaurant. You go to Logan's, you've got bread rolls. Well, you are satisfied with those until the sirloin comes. Red lobster, you've got the cheddar biscuits until a lobster tail comes. And then you go to a Mexican restaurant, chips and salsa till the fajitas come. In other words, what we are experiencing now are the hors d'oeuvres. Jesus is bringing the main entry later. I don't mean to torture you with this in the 11 o'clock hour. (laughs) But the ministry of Jesus Christ was a preview in miniature of all that Jesus is going to do. And one day he'll split the eastern sky, gird himself and serve us with sweet manna all around. This happens to be the cheddar biscuits and the rolls and chips and salsa. All the rest comes later. He is coming again one day. And Jesus previewed this in verse number 35. Healing every sickness and every disease among the people. Isaiah said he would in Isaiah 35, 4 through 6. This would be a sign of the Messiah. A mark of him. And this is precisely what Jesus did. And so, beloved, what I'm saying to you is this. To be like Jesus means we do as Jesus did. We do kingdom acts in his name. We're trying to show the world what the future kingdom is going to look like by demonstrating it in our worship. By demonstrating it in our Bible study. By demonstrating it in our holiness and purity of life. We eliminate impurity and when we fail we repent and hungrily and greedily pursue holiness. We do that in our marriages. We do that in how we raise our children. We do that in how we serve. We do that in how we do spiritual warfare. We display that future kingdom and thank God by the power of the Holy Spirit it can be done. This is the future kingdom and it's only going to get better. Do as Jesus did. Well, you can be like Jesus if you'll do as Jesus did, but there's a fourth thing. You can be like Jesus when you feel as Jesus felt. You know, there are are a couple of reactions that some people have to a multitude of people or a multitude of anything. Some are awed and impressed with a multitude. You take a spade full of dirt and most people are not impressed with that, but you pile spade on top of spade full of dirt on top of spade full of dirt and then you have feet and then you have yards and then eventually you have a mountain and people will build a cabin on it. It's impressive. You have just one soldier. Folks may not be too impressed with that, but you have an entire army, a multitude of soldiers. They're impressed with that. Some people are impressed by a multitude. Some, perhaps even among us, look at a multitude in our world and may be impressed or awed 
Some might be angry. You know, you don't have to be a cannibal to get fed up with people, do you? My father had to quit watching the newscast a number of years ago because it raised his blood pressure too high. It made him angry. To a degree, I have fallen suit. It is hard to look at what the world is doing to children and families and marriage and not boil with rage. Guard yourself from that. In fact, I would encourage you, have a one-to-one ratio between your anger and your prayer life. Your prayers. Jesus' world was really no different. In fact, it was more responsible because it had the law, the testimonies, the prophets, the patriarchs, the temple, the synagogue. And look what Jesus did in verse number 36. When he saw the multitudes, was he awed by them and impressed with them? No. Was he angered? Once in a while with errant and irresponsible religious leaders, but not with the multitudes. He was moved with compassion for them. He felt at the gut level. In fact, the word compassion has something to do with the gut level. If you are using the King James Version, it says in some places it translates the word compassion, especially in Philippians 2, as bowels of mercy. In other words, Jesus felt compassion and mercy and pity and love in his gut for the multitudes. Well, why is that? Well, because they were weary and scattered. And the translators of these two words are all over the map because these two words in the Greek text are really ambiguous. I think the best way to define weary and scattered is with the next phrase. The best dictionary for words happens to be the text that you have in front of you. And so what does it mean to be weary and scattered? Well, it's like it being a sheep that has no shepherd. And in first century Israel, if you're a sheep without a shepherd, you're dinner for a wolf. One possible translation of weary is torn, ripped into shreds. And that's what you would expect a wolf to do to a sheep without a shepherd. And then, not only weary and scattered, but the word scattered might be best translated prostrate, collapsed. Well, you can imagine after a wolf is done with the sheep, the sheep is prostrate or collapsed on the ground, ripped to shreds. And that is how Jesus saw Israel under its religious leaders. Well, look what happened in verse 34, the verse above our text. This was the sad state of the religious leaders. In verse 34, they said of Jesus, He cast out demons, so they at least admitted that, by the ruler of demons. In other words, their wickedness 
was so intense and they were so unrestrained and unbridled in their wickedness, they looked at Jesus and saw the devil. In other words, in their way of thinking, what was right was wrong, and what was wrong was right. And does that sound familiar? 